Right, if you would, please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and today, by the grace of God, we'll be covering verses 1 to 20. As you can see on your outline, I'm preaching to you this morning on the topic of reacting to Christmas. As Garrett alluded to just a moment ago, it's, I think it's ironic, actually. I did not plan it out like this at all. I'm just going through the Gospel of Luke, as you know, preaching passage by passage. But strangely enough, as best we can tell, this is the week wherein Jesus was actually born. We cannot narrow it down to a specific day, but this would be the week that He would be born. Now, we do this. We, when you go into Luke 1, you see that Zacharias, right? He was the father of John the Baptist. He was of the course of Abiah or Abijah. So you can go back into the Old Testament and narrow down what time of the year the course of Abijah was in the temple offering the incense and doing those duties. From that date, <clears throat> we can then uh, see when John the Baptist was conceived, his birth, and then you tack on six months. That's how we arrive at that approximate date for the true birth of Jesus. But to be very honest with you, it doesn't matter what day he was born, does it? The fact is, he came. He came. I remember years ago, I was in the fourth grade. We were in PE class. Is that something you guys have here? PE class, physical education. So we, we all went to the gym and we're all about to run and jump and play all that kind of stuff. And I was having a theological argument with one of my buddies in the fourth grade, right? We were arguing which day is better, Easter or Christmas? Now, to be honest, I cannot remember which position I was defending. <laughs> All I remembered is one of us was on Christmas, the other Easter. And the argument went something like this. Christmas is better because without Christmas, you can't have Easter. Did I die out again? The other guy would say, no, no, but without Easter, Christmas is just another guy being born. You have to have the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ to make that birth even special. So we went back and forth. Years later, I got saved. And then I read in the book of Ecclesiastes where it says the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. I thought, ah, there's that answer from fourth grade. I finally found it, right? Now, I must admit, this, this is one of the things that living in South Africa, I really miss this part of my culture in America is the Christmas culture. Now, please understand, when I say this, I am not knocking anything you do for Christmas your culture is perfectly fine with how you go about celebrating Christmas. But you guys have a braai and jump in these swim bot, you know. That's, your Christmas is different than mine. We roast chestnuts by an open fire and we go outside and play in the snow. It's very different here than what we do there. Now, the whole idea of being around family and just, it's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful day. But it's more of a cultural atmosphere the real reaction, the real experience behind Christmas is what we read in Luke chapter 2, not what we tend to make it in our commercialized cultures. Again, I'm not saying that the way we go about it is necessarily wrong. Culturally, it's fine, but biblically, I think there's much more to the story. So let's pray, and then we're going to go through these verses today and see if we can learn how to properly react to Christmas. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day and this chance to look at the birth of your son. And we understand, God, it is the death, the burial, and the resurrection that makes us pay attention to this day. But that being said, it is a special day, as we're going to see here. Help us to react to it properly. Please speak to our hearts today. Let us walk away changed, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's begin at verse number one. It came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, when it says all the world, obviously all the world over which Augustus has power, so the Roman Empire. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. If I might just briefly make mention of this, for those of you that are keen to study these kind of things, Many people have raised an objection to this and said maybe Luke was wrong because of the, the timing mentioned here. If you have Augustus and Cyrenius and you have Herod, then the dates don't match up. I, I have looked at that extensively. If I can just say the dates that they say don't match up come from Josephus, and there's a very high likelihood that Josephus was wrong 
there has actually been recently some archaeological and historical evidence that has been unearthed that verifies everything Luke says here. So I'm just making mention. I know it's an issue. It's not something we're going to take a long time to study out. But Cyrenius, Caesar Augustus, Herod, it all lines up with the evidence that is there. Now verse number 3, it says, And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. So this is not something that only Joseph and Mary are having to endure. This is not a persecution being uh, given against what people call the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Everybody's going through this. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Have you ever had a day like this where you're already under some pressure? There's this massive taxation. They have to take a census. Everybody has to go to their hometown to be registered. That's a bummer already, right? Who, who wants to be a part of that? That's a wasted day. In my mind, that's just a waste of my time, a waste of my day, and certainly a waste of my money. The Romans grossly, grossly overtaxed the people of Israel. So that is already, I want to say an inconvenience, but it's much more than that. It is a frustration. Now that's bad enough. You have to leave, leave Nazareth, Nazareth, go to Bethlehem, all of the cost, all of the travel hassles, but now your wife is pregnant. Not just pregnant, but pregnant. She's pregnant, pregnant, like really, really pregnant. She's in pain. This is uncomfortable. And to make it worse, it's not just that she's pregnant, 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 but she's going into labor, right? She gets there, and now the days are accomplished, and she begins to feel the control. Can you imagine the look on Joseph's face? He wakes up and says, all right, honey, I am so sorry. I know that you're uncomfortable. I know this is an inconvenient time, but the Romans are the Romans, we got to pay the tax. If we don't, we're going to be in trouble. So come on, honey, I'm so sorry. Gets her situated on the, I assume, a donkey, right? I don't think he made her walk. Puts her, puts her, God help him, puts her on the donkey. Says, come on, honey. They're already having kind of a, a not, let's, let's say a bad day. And then as they're getting closer to town, Joseph, Joseph, oh, Joseph, oh, and he, I'm so sorry. And Joseph looks at his watch and starts timing the contractions because you know he had a watch, right? He says, honey, hang on, hang on. And he doesn't have a place to stay, right? He's poor. People from Nazareth were known to be very, very poor. This is just an inconvenient time, and it's getting worse. The frustrations are piling up. You can see in verse number 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. Do you think they had a midwife? Probably not. You know what? There's a good chance that in Nazareth they had all that worked out. They probably had a birthing plan worked out for Nazareth. But now Caesar Augustus, that great guy, he's put all this taxation on, and now we got to... Everything is going not according to plan. Completely against the plan. Extremely inconvenient. No midwife. I guess this would make Joseph the midwife, if I had to guess. I'm just guessing that he's probably never delivered a baby before. This is just one of those days, right, that you're never going to forget for so many reasons. It says, and laid him in a manger. I seriously doubt they planned on putting their firstborn child in a trough, <laughs> in a manger where animals are gathering around. But what a perfect place to put the lamb of God, right? We sing that song, Mary had a little lamb. She did. <laughs> and put him in a manger. But look at the last part of verse 7 because there was no room for them in the inn. Just another mild irritation, another inconvenience that is not the way that they had desired to bring the firstborn, their firstborn child, and certainly God's firstborn son into the world. So point number one on your outline, if you can write this there, improvise. We're talking about reacting to Christmas, reacting to the birth of Christ. And the first thing we learn in this passage is that you have to learn to improvise. The will of God, the commands of God, are rarely going to wait for everything to work out perfectly in your life before you have to do them. 
I don't know of any command where God says, as soon as everything is clicking perfectly and you're having the best day ever, then do what I told you to do. The will of God stands even when you're having a tough time and we have to learn to serve God, to worship God, to put Him first, to spend that close and uh, intimate time with Him when circumstances are less than perfect. You know, many times I've heard sermons, even myself, I've mentioned this on occasion. It says at the end of verse 7, there was no room for them in the inn. And you know, we say that, that, that mean innkeeper, he didn't make room for, for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. You know, I seriously doubt he had any ill will towards them. By the time they got there, wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense that Joseph and Mary were moving slower than everybody else? They probably got there very late in the day. The inn, right? The hostahis is already full. There are no rooms left. There's a good chance that this innkeeper did them a tremendous kindness by saying, guys, I, I don't have any rooms left. We do have room out there by the barn. It's not the most convenient or ideal situation, but listen, we'll, we'll do what we can with what we have. And Joseph and Mary had to learn to improvise. I seriously doubt Joseph and Mary sent word ahead to the innkeeper, said, listen, my wife uh, immaculately conceived, I promise. I know we're not married. I know this looks bad. She's very pregnant, but trust me, God did it, not me. And if you could just make a little room, this is the Son of God, the Savior. I seriously, even had they sent that message ahead, the innkeeper probably wouldn't have believed it. There was no way to prep for this. It was out of their control. It's all happening at once. Doesn't life throw you that curveball every week? Things that you weren't expecting, it all just kind of piles up and you have to learn how to improvise. The innkeeper, I believe, did what he could to make this work. Now listen, you and I, on the other side of history, knowing who Mary and Joseph are, knowing who is in the womb of Mary, if we know this family is pitching up at our hostais, at our inn, wouldn't you make room for them? Knowing what we now know, wouldn't you make room for them? Might I bring your attention to your outline at the bottom of it? Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. I only point this out to say that Jesus has already booked an appointment. He has told you where he's going to be and when he's going to be there. In Revelation 3, he's knocking at the door of a church. Every time the church assembles, Jesus is knocking at the door saying, I want in, I want to have fellowship with you, with every individual that will invite me to be a part of the service. This is why one person can get something out of the service and the next one maybe not as much or nothing at all because it comes down to that individual making room for Jesus in their hostiles. <laughs> this guest house we call a heart. To say, Lord, I know where you're going to be, and I want to be right there as well. Didn't Jesus say, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them? That means multiple times throughout the week, you know where you can meet with the Lord. And it's not limited to that, by the way. David said this famous thing in the book of Psalms, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Listen to that the Son of Man that thou visitest Him. God wants to pay you a visit. That's not limited to Sundays, Wednesdays, Thursday small group. It's not limited to that. Every day God comes knocking at the door. God comes in the cool of the day, Adam, and says, where art thou? Now we know, we know He's coming to town. We need to make room for that in our lives. You can't wait for everything to work out, for all the other problems of life to calm down, for your schedule to get cleared up. Well, Tani, am I right about this? Life just seems to snowball after a while. It gets busier and busier, isn't it? The idea of going, okay, as soon as I find a gap in my schedule, then I'll have some extra time for, no. The gap in the schedule, we call it the millennium. <laughs> when Jesus comes, right? That's, that's the gap in the schedule. <laughs> Some years ago, I told you about it recently, in the year 2000, I took a survey trip to Malawi. This was before I was a missionary there. Had a very difficult trip, but on, on that trip, one of the things that made it challenging, we were supposed to be in Malawi the whole time, but 
for whatever reason, the pastors arranged it so that I would go through Mozambique for about four or five days and preach there. I didn't know that. This was a surprise to me. So I get there. We're going through Mozambique. I didn't know that they had had a civil war. You guys know that, right? But they had blown up holes in their road. These aren't potholes. We know potholes. Those weren't potholes. Those were bomb holes. And, you know, we tell these jokes about if you see a head sticking up, that's a giraffe, you know, because the whole... (laughs) Guys, seriously, you could lose your vehicle. That was the point of blowing up holes in the road so the enemy coming with the vehicle would literally fall into the hole. We had a Malawian driver. We had four of us in the cab of this Klein Bucky, Bucky Kiki, very, 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 Bucky Kiki. More keys the smaller it gets, Bucky Kiki Kiki. We had four of us in the front, 15 in the back, 15 people in the back. And our driver, his name was Soldier, Msirikali, Soldier, and he drove like it. Pedal to the metal, man. He was doing a hundred clicks an hour. Through this road with the bomb holes all through. I said, soldier, why are we in such a hurry? Yeah, I'm hungry. (laughs) Off he goes. Man. I said, please slow down. He's hitting these holes. You know, he's dodging the big ones and thinks I'm doing good because I'm hitting the little ones. Boom, boom, boom. This, this Bucky Kiki, this is an old vehicle. It can't hold up to that. I know this, and I'm not a mechanic. I said, please, man, you're going to break us down. We're in the backside of nowhere, going to the village of Murumbala. I can't even find that on a map now. And sure enough, bam, he hit one hole, poof, back left tire exploded. So we, they get out, they take the tire off, they have to put put a new rubber, everything on the tire, new inner tube, blow it up, put it on a new rim, all of that. Then they put it back on, and I said, now, soldier, have you learned? You must go slower. Yeah, boss, yeah, yeah, no problem. It's slow, slow. Hundred. (laughs) What does he do? He found the biggest hole he could. Oh, wham, full speed, drive shaft. Falls out of the vehicle. I'm not a mechanic, but I think that's an important part of the car. <laughs> Boom. Falls out. We, we get out, and there is a massive bolt that holds the drive shaft to the, to the chassis or to the body of the vehicle. He had snapped that in half. I looked at that, and I said, now what do we do? He said, I don't want to have a plan. To me, you're, you're a mechanic. Tell me if this would work. He got a wire coat hanger and said, yeah, I'll fix it. That's not how you fix a drive shaft, right? But what, that, that Malawian had a plan. He got under the car. He tied a knot with a wire coat hanger and said, yeah, shop, good. We all got in the car. I thought, how is this possibly going to work? And now somebody had walked by and said, no, 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 you're going the wrong way. Get off of the main road. Take this dirt road. It's a shortcut. Can I just advise you, if you're ever in the villages in Africa, never take the shortcut. Never, 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 never. But we did. We take the shortcut. We're now going down this very narrow dirt path. The grass on each side is three, four meters high. I mean, we're, we're in the jungle. We're going down, and, and we're going 5K an hour. Slow, 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 slow. And boom, drive shaft falls out again. Good grief. Now what do we do? I mean, the day was not convenient already. It's starting to get frustrating. Wire coat hanger. We're trying to improvise. I said, now your wire coat hanger didn't work. What's next? He pulled out a piece of twine. Not a rope. Twine. He pulled it out and said, ah, don't worry. Strong. Strong. He tied the drive shaft with the twine. I said, how can this work? He said, okay, okay, everybody in. Let's go. So we go, click, click, boom, drive shaft falls out again. I said, yeah, I kind of saw that one coming. I, that couldn't work. So there we, we sat there on the side of, well, the, I say the side. There was just the road. We sat there in the road for about three, four hours. I'm praying, going, God, if the rapture doesn't happen, I'm, this is it. Right here. People are walking by laughing at us. And <clears throat> just saying, well, where are you trying to go? Murumbala. <laughs> because they know this isn't the shortcut. We went from bad to inconvenient to frustrated to sad. I'm in tears. God, what are we going to do? <clears throat> Somebody showed up in a baki, a real one. 
Four by four. I said, yes, amen. There's the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Amen. He pulled over. We chatted with him. He said, yeah, yeah, come. He had room for three of us. So my interpreter, myself, four of us rather, the pastor's wife and, and her little baby. We all got in the baki. <laughs> the interpreter had to ride in the back with the goats. And off we went to Murumbala. We got there about two hours later. We were supposed to have church at 2 p.m. The church gathered, and they were singing. They sang for two hours, but we didn't show up, and there's no phones. We can't call to say we're not coming, so they just figured we forgot or died or something. We got to town at 8 p.m. 8 p.m., I get into Murambala. We get to this little, I hesitate to say a guest house, but that's what they called it. I laid down on the bed. There's no electricity because they shut the power off at 7 o'clock every day. 7 p.m., no power for the whole town. So there I'm laying in the dark. It's very hot and knock at the window. It's the pastor from that church we were supposed to preach at. He said, yeah, we are ready. They saw us come to town in the back of that baki and they called all the other villages and said, yeah, they're here, they're here, come. So they all reconvened at the church. I am so tired, I'm sick, I'm, I haven't eaten, I haven't bathed. They said, yeah, we're ready. So I put on my shirt, I get on the back of a bicycle. Uh, this guy's driving the bicycle, and I'm on the back, you know, that wire rack on the back? I'm on that. This is just, you talk about improvising. For a spoiled American, this is, what am I doing? Off we go, 45 minutes, and we're not on the road anymore. We're cutting through fields to get to this church, and it is pitch black cloudy night we are literally riding by faith and not by sight because you couldn't see a thing we get to this church and there we set up there was a, it was a mud pulpit they'd pushed mud together put a blanket over it that was the pulpit they put a lantern there and there was a lantern in the back of the room there were a hundred people in this small little room I mean Social distancing, nicks. Right, they were all close to each other. One lantern in the back, and I had all these eyeballs just looking at me. That's all I could see was just a bunch of eyeballs. They, oh, you should have heard that church sing. Wow, they sang, they clapped, they danced. I'm sure they stepped on each other's feet, I mean, bumping into each other. I preached through an interpreter, English to Chichewa. And then that had to be interpreted, Chewa to Portuguese. And then that had to be interpreted, Portuguese to the local village language. I don't even know what it was. Four languages. You talk about inconvenient, frustrating, improvising. But hey man, job had to be done. God called me to go preach to these people. All right, here I am. Let's preach. Let's get the job done. And if we only have two little lanterns and a mud pulpit, okay, we stayed there till past 10 o'clock. The people heard the sermon, and then afterwards, I have a question, 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 question. It would go through all the interpreters, get to me, and then go all the way back. One guy asked a question. He said, yeah, um, is it okay for a man to marry a man? And I thought, oh, where am I at? <laughs> and then I answered the question. I gave a few verses, and the guy jumped up in the back of the church and said, no, 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 that wasn't my question. Bad interpreting. <laughs> My question was about divorce, not about a man. <laughs> it was just an inconvenient night. But listen, sometimes it's not going to go according to plan. Sometimes life takes you off script, off the beaten path, down some shortcut that you should have never have taken. You thought it would save you time, but it ends up costing you more than you could imagine. You thought it was a good idea in the moment, but it turns out that wasn't such a great idea. Say, well, this is the time to just say, call it quits. I've done as much as I can. Maybe you just improvise. Say, COVID has really thrown a wrench into my business, into my life. Yes, and maybe you just got to learn to deal with it. Because complaining about it and quitting over it isn't going to make it go away. It's not going to get it any better. Maybe things in your life aren't what you would like them to be at the moment, but hey, you've just got to improvise. Jesus can still show up in the midst of a very inconvenient, hard time. Second part. If you can put this on your outline, number two, investigate. Investigate. You have to stop waiting for a room to open up at the end of life you got to make it work. But then while Jesus is being born, 
We see in verse 8, There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth goodwill, or on earth peace rather, goodwill toward men. For, for just a moment here, the veil over the spiritual realm is pulled back. For just a moment, earth gets a glimpse of heaven. For just a few minutes, these shepherds get to see why heaven is so excited. Could you imagine for a moment today if you and I could get that glimpse? I mean, here we are on earth, you know, maybe it's a bit warm where you're at. Thank God I got this lecker fan working for me. You're thinking about maybe what you're going to eat for lunch, what you have to do next week, what you've been struggling with this week. You, we're, we're bound, we're entangled with the affairs of our life. Every now and then it's good for heaven to just, for, for the veil of heaven to be peeled back and for us to get a peek of what's waiting for us on the other side. I've given you a verse here on your outline, Luke 15 verse 7. Jesus said, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Let us vision in our minds just now if somebody today were to turn from their sin, turn from whatever they've been trusting in and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Imagine the scene in heaven. The angels getting excited and breaking out into song as the book of life is cracked open and that wonderful pen dipped in the blood of Jesus and that name written down in the book of life never to be blotted out. Isn't that a wonderful scene? That's what heaven is like. You can go into Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 and you can get a glimpse there of what it's going to be like the day the rapture happens. Our entrance into heaven, you can see the throne and the rainbow round about and the angels and the four, uh, four and twenty elders and the four beasts bowing down before the throne. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And then we see the Lamb come forth and take the book out of the hand of the Father and open it and He's worthy to open that book. And, and all of heaven begins to sing. Every now and then, that's a breath of fresh air we all need. But here's the thing. You can read about that in Luke 15. You can read about it in Revelation 4 and 5. But if it stops there, it's really not going to do much for you. Imagine if the shepherds had seen this and went, wow, tremendous. Did you hear that angel speak? Man, powerful, interesting. What a message. The Savior's born. He's here. That's great. Did you hear that choir? Ooh, that choir could sing. You know what the shepherds had? They had one of the best church services ever. It was a, it was a, a good message with great singing. <laughs> if, if you just sit through the message and hear the good singing and go home and do nothing about it, then Christmas is wasted on you. We need to have the proper reaction to Christmas. First, we learn to improvise. Jesus can be in the midst of us even in tough times. And secondly, verse 15, you have to learn to investigate. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Hey, let's do something with the message we just heard and let's not wait till tomorrow. Let's do something about it right now. Let's go investigate. I've given you another verse on your paper, Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Taste and see. It's one thing for the chef to prepare the meal and put it in front of you and you say, that smells wonderful, that looks great. It's a whole other thing to dig in, fork and knife, 
and taste and see just how good it is. The angels have shown up and made a big deal of who has been born. Now let's go check into this. Let's investigate. Let's taste and see how good this is. Have any of you ever watched this show called Fear Factor? How many of you have seen that show? All right, Joe Rogan used to host it years ago. I could never be on that show. Some of the things, those blind taste tests. Oh, man. When you put your hand into the box or bowl and it's moving around your hand, and then they say, okay, that's what you got to eat. No, sir, blindfold off. You win, I lose. <laughs> done, done. I don't have that much faith. I don't trust the guy in front of me saying, no, 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 trust me. Just eat it. It won't be bad. No, no. Tell me more about it. I will investigate, I'll taste, but you got to convince me to take that taste. Years ago, my dad, we would go to the farm every vacation we had, summer and winter. My grandmother, grandma and grandpa had a big farm, 1,000 acres, and they loved to eat the offalls. Everybody familiar with the offalls of the animal? You know, the liver, the kidneys, the gizzards, all of that stuff. My grandma used to love, you know, cow's tongue. That was a delicacy. My dad called me this week, yes, yeah, son, had some coleslaw and some cow's tongue. Real proud of it, you know. Help yourself, by the way. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying that's not, not my thing. My dad, one day, he said, son, let me tell you about this food I used to eat growing up. You got to eat it. You got to try it, son. This is great stuff. They pulled it out, big box of it, like a, a plastic container of it, pickled pig's feet. With, not, in, not in like a, a, a liquid, but in the gel, like the jelly all around. Pickled pig's feet. He said, ooh, some. Mm. My grandfather had a word for this. He said, this is larapin good. I don't know what larapin means, but he said, this is larapin good. I think that must be the sound you make. You know, larapin good, like slurp it up. I said, okay, now just, this, just the name of it, pickled pig's feet. You know where those pig's feet have been, right? I, I don't, I really don't want to eat that. My dad said, no, son, you've got to try it. I'm telling you, man, you, you'll, you'll see. You just got to taste and see. As I think I was seven or eight years old, I, I trust my dad. I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try it. I took a little piece of that. I got <laughs> tentative, right? <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you to this day, don't try it. Don't try it. That's, that's, that is nasty. That stuff is nasty. I was right. That, 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 it, it tastes worse than it sounds. God, pickled pig's feet? Come on, man. Come on. You see, I, I tasted and I've seen, I understand, and now I'll stay away. But at least I investigated. At least I can honestly say I heard you out and I tried. I don't like it. You know what Jesus comes and says? Here, I'm the living water. I'm the living bread. I'm the true bread from heaven. <clears throat> Sorry, you drink of this, you'll never thirst again. You eat of this, you'll never hunger again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It is not enough for you to sit and say, yes, okay, Jesus, I believe that you are a great guy and a Savior, and I believe that you died. That's nodding and verbally consenting to what Jesus said and did is one thing. It's another thing to taste and see. So what do I mean? When Jesus walks by and says, here, you, follow me. He's not asking you to nod and go, okay, Jesus, yes, I think you're great. Muy rey. That's not it. When he says taste and see, he says, here's what I'm telling you to do. Now try it. Try it. Let's say, yalla. Prude it. Taste it. Put it in. Did I get it right? Taste it. Don't just look at it. Don't just talk about it. Don't say, I'm sure that would be good if I put it in my mouth. Try it. Take the teachings of Jesus. Take what he said about prayer. Take what he said about the Bible. Take what he said about preaching the gospel. Church, take what he said about treating your husband and your wife a certain way. Treat, take what he said about loving one another. All of those things. Blessed are the poor in spirit, they that mourn, the meek, the peacemakers. Take all of those lessons and employ them in your life and then come back and tell me if it works then come back and say you know what we've investigated and it's every bit as good as we thought it would be and better this is so much more impressive than we ever thought it made such a massive change verse 16 it says they came with haste <laughs> with no delay they hurried up 
and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, it says, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. When the shepherds got to the stable, to the inn, right, saw the babe in the manger, how do you think that conversation went? Here are some shepherds showing up right after Mary's given birth. That's not a convenient time to have visitors, is it? You got to improvise. Uh, pardon me. Pardon me. I'm sorry. Uh, Mary, forgive me. Or they probably didn't know the name. Uh, sorry, madam. Uh, we, we know that you just had a baby. I hate to bother. But, and right when they got to the butt, Mary and Joseph said, an angel showed up, didn't he? <laughs> They're like, yes. How did you know? Yeah, we figured. Well, uh, this angel said that th th this little boy here, uh, he's the son of God, right? That's what he told you? Yes, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, we know, we know. How, well, well, what's your story? Tell me more about it. Don't you know that Mary and Joseph shared their story as well? And says, you know what? My cousin Elizabeth had this baby at her old age and, and Joseph talks about the dream he had where the Lord showed up to him and Mary says, yeah, an angel showed up to me and then the Holy Spirit showed up to Elizabeth and then when John was born, Zacharias got his voice back and, and they start sharing the whole story and the shepherds are on the edge of their seats going, you've got to be kidding. This is tremendous. You know what will do you a lot of good? Take your story what the Lord has shown you, tell somebody else about it, and then hear their story. We need to swap our stories. We need to tell our stories to each other. And listen, we can't do that necessarily during a church service, but make the time for that. This is what small groups are great for, to hear these stories. This is what the Lord has done in my heart, in my life. This is how He's changed me, and I'll never be the same. And when people start hearing all of our stories collectively put together, it builds the biography of Jesus. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They said, sure enough, it's every bit as good as we were told and more. I guarantee you this, after they investigated and saw it and talked about it, they told that story for the rest of their lives. But here's the wonderful thing. This story got better and better and better because as Jesus grows up, don't you know the shepherds kept tabs on him? And I don't know how old these shepherds were. Maybe they were 20, 30, 40 years old. They must be older men by the time Jesus starts doing miracles. But when he starts doing miracles and announces to the public who the shepherds already know that he is, they're going, I told you. I, I've been telling this story for 30 years. I told you. How wonderful it is when we've been telling somebody about the Savior. It might take 10, 20, 30 years, but somebody comes to Christ and we can say, I told you. You finally took a taste. Isn't it good? Isn't it good to be saved? Last thing I'd like to talk about. In verse number 19, it says, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Point number three on your outline, internalize. How do we react to Christmas, to the Christmas story, to the Savior entering the world? We have to improvise. Jesus is going to change things in your life and it's not always going to be convenient. You just got to roll with that. Make it work. Make it work. And then you're going to have to investigate. Put to practice what you've heard. Do something with it and see how much it changes you. And then thirdly, thirdly here, Mary internalized. Now, sometimes we use that word to say, you know, we're not doing anything about it. Externally, we just keep it all in. But you can see where I get the word. I needed a word that started with the letter I, right, internalize. But verse 19, she pondered them in her heart. So she didn't say this out loud at the moment. She's just meditating about this in her heart. Can I just quickly recommend that you spend some time meditating on the Lord? When you read your Bible, don't just read it and close it. Read it and stop and think. Mull it over in your mind and, and, and play it out and think about how it's affected the past and how it might change the future. I'm sure that's what Mary's doing here. She's pondering it in her heart. I was a lowly handmaiden. Look at what God has done already. And then I'm sure she's thinking, what is going to happen next? Think about what she's already experienced. An immaculate conception, 
a visitation of an angel, the interaction with Elizabeth, John the Baptist being born, Joseph had his visitation from the angel, and now she's given birth in Bethlehem. By the way, that was the, the prophet Micah said that the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. You know how God worked that out? Through a taxation. <laughs> the most unlikely way to get the job done, but it got the job done. And Mary is working this out in her mind going, I can't believe how God's plan just works out so wonderfully every time. What is going to happen next? Later on in the chapter, you know what we find? They walk into the temple. Simeon picks the baby up and says, I've seen the salvation of the Lord. The Holy Spirit told me I would see this child before I die. And then we read about Anna the prophetess saying, everyone that's been waiting for redemption in Jerusalem, here it is. Not too long after that, Mary gets a knock at the door. Jesus is maybe about one and a half, two years old. And here's some wise men from the far country, from the east. They're bringing gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, worshiping the little boy. And then after that, Herod puts out that horrible decree to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. I mean, it's one thing after another. Mary, she couldn't have known. There's no way she could have seen all the differences and changes and challenges that come with having Jesus in her home. And I'm going to challenge you for a moment to internally ponder this. Think about it. Now that I have Jesus in my heart and in my life, now that He is the center of everything I do, how much is this going to change? What am I supposed to expect next? Who might knock at the door? Who might attack? Who might my friends be? Who will the enemy be? What should I expect? You have got to be ready for literally anything. When Jesus passed by His disciples, they all had this follow me moment where Jesus would point to them and say, you, Peter, Andrew, follow me. They had to give up their nets. James, John, follow me. They had to leave behind their boat and their dad. Matthew, follow me. He had to give up one of the best-paying jobs in the empire, tax collector. And one by one, as these people were called to follow Christ, something big had to change in their life. And they would never be the same. Might I just say that the call to discipleship still goes on today, even this morning. I hope that the Holy Spirit passes by where you're seated, puts His finger on your heart and says, you, follow me. With that, you need to stop and ponder, now what must I change? Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to forsake all and follow me. He says, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. There's going to be a cost involved. There's going to be some changes made. And you do need to ponder that and think, now, now as Mary would think, I'm his mother. This is going to be an everyday responsibility. Look at all these big things God is doing. What is my life going to be like now since I have Jesus in it? Are you ready to lay it down at the altar and say, Lord, I've heard the call to follow. Whatever you ask of me, it's yours. Whatever you want me to change, I'll change. No matter how big, no matter how small. Lord, I want you in my life, and I know that life will never be the same. It's been a bit of a bumpy ride, a crazy ride, exciting even. But Lord, as long as you're in it, it's all that matters. I've given you a quote at the bottom of your paper. This now famous, very famous missionary, Jim Elliott, he died at the age of 28. He was a martyr. He had just flown into a very remote part in South America and Ecuador there to minister to a tribe that had never seen missionaries. He had barely gotten off the plane before they rammed him through the heart with a spear him and all of his missionary co-laborers. And Jim Elliott said this before that tragic day, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Yes, Jesus is going to change everything. And yes, you need to ponder that in your heart. But the end conclusion is, I might be forsaking something now 
But in the end, I'm gaining Christ. And this leads us to what the Apostle Paul said, what things I counted gain for me, those I counted loss for Christ. It's well worth the cost. Let's all stand if you would, please. How do we react to Christmas? People had to improvise, investigate, and you need to internally ponder. Now that Jesus is here and living in your heart, how does that change? How does that change your life? Let's all have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As the music plays, may you please ponder in your heart Think about what God has already shown you, the changes He's made. Think about what He's told you to do. And now look to the future and say, Jesus is here. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. But now what am I going to do about this? Now that He's here, life will never be the same. Perhaps you need that Isaiah moment today to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I don't even know where. I don't know what you want me to do, but I'm, I'm yours. Say, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm ready to make such a sacrifice to change everything. Can I offer you this advice? Investigate. Taste and see. Take the teachings of Christ this week and actually try to do what He commanded us and see what a difference it makes in your life. Don't serve Him on accident. Do it on purpose. If you need a moment to pray, some have already bowed the knee, some have taken a seat. If you want to come forward, you can. The Christmas story is about Jesus coming into the world. What do we learn? Well, the day Jesus comes into your heart, that's your Christmas story. And there are going to be weeks where you don't have the time that you would like, the health that you would like. You won't have the money that you would like to have. You improvise and you find a way to do what you can for the Lord with what you have. You may not get to sleep in the inn. You might be out there in the barn, but at least you're there with Christ. In just a moment, I'll pray and close the service. <clears throat> Maybe this morning you're here <clears throat> and you've never been born again. That is, you've never received Christ as your Savior. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't point you out. I would like to pray for you, though. W would you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down and say, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not sure that Jesus lives in my heart. Just pray for me. Anybody like that? Thank you. I see, I see those hands. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world, for humbling yourself to be born as a, a little baby, completely and totally dependent on someone else to take care of you, just as we are now completely and totally dependent on you to take care of us. I pray now for these hands that went up, Father, whatever improvising, whatever investigating, whatever pondering of the heart needs to happen, might this be the day that Jesus comes in? And then from that day forth, never leaves, never forsakes. 
Lord, help us. It's difficult. We're so earthly, so bound to this world. Help us, Lord, to make room for you in the inn, to improvise, to put you above all else. We look forward to what comes next in our lives, in our church. We can't wait to see what next great event you're going to bring about. Until that time, help us to keep serving you faithfully. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And folks, thank you so much. Lord willing, tonight, Bible school, 6 o'clock. For those of you that want to come, you're more than welcome. Otherwise, we'll have it on live stream.